my name is David Wing, and I've had the honor of pastoring the Dover Foursquare Church for almost 25 years. We have targeted our gatherings to minister to the Lord, the saints, and the world. First, through singing, praise, and receiving the word, we pursue ministering to Him. Second, we pursue interactive involvement with each person present. Fellowship before and after the service helps, but each believer must be personally involved if he is to become equipped to fulfill his role as an agent of Jesus in life's marketplace. We want to be a congregation that gives place to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to be a congregation committed to the systematic and edifying teaching of God's Word. We want to be a congregation devoted to the exercise of Holy Spirit-inspired worship. It is our prayer that the message you hear today will assist you in realizing the possibilities God has for you and that your journey with him will be one of abundance David if you'll come up and Marietta would you come up here I am I just in the first service I said I I thank God for uh, the people that he's given to me uh, to work with and partner in ministry here in the church Pastor David and Marietta came to us with 30 years of experience And that is more than you could ever, ever possibly believe God for. When he says in his word, he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask or think. He has done that in this couple. They love children. Uh, They really should have some children of their own. (laughs) Those of you that, that know them know they have six beautiful children, one handsome boy and then just five beautiful girls, one after the other. Two of them are over here with them today, and the others are in other parts of the church. But God has brought them to us, and we thank God for that. And David's going to minister. They, I, I just want you to uh, reach out your hands, and I want us to pray uh, for these families and these couples because God has brought them our way, and we want his anointing to rest upon them. Father, we thank you today that in this church body, you have raised up many, many leaders. You have, Lord, people that are ministering in this body on a weekly basis, on Sundays and Wednesdays, to children, to infants, to teens, to preteens. And God, we so thank you for committed workers that give of themselves. And Lord, we thank you for bringing Pastor David and Marietta and their families to hear Lord, to be a part of this church, to minister, to to be the gifts, Lord, that you have made them to be to this body of believers. And we just ask for your anointing to rest upon them today. We speak a blessing of your presence on their lives. And we pray that, Lord, our hearts will just be open today to receive the word of God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, even before I got married, knew I was going to have six wonderful children. Uh, the Lord started me off in, in Christian education, working with uh, children. It was such a blessing to see. I, it was my first opportunity to really see how God can work in children. You know, God can do precious things in children. And that school that I uh, taught in for a, about two years, um, it was amazing to see how God could revive these children. There were times... When we had such revival, we'd open up in prayer in the morning and uh, sing in a few songs. And all of a sudden, the kids would just get on their knees and begin crying and weeping and, and, and raising their hands all on their own. Something we didn't make them do. We didn't say, raise your hands, clap. We didn't do any of that. It just happened. And God can do that with children. 
In fact, there were times when the Spirit just fell upon these children and, and uh, sometimes they would prophesy. They would speak things about the Lord, just God speak, using their, their mouth to speak. There was one little girl, she must have been about eight years old or so, she came to one of the teachers and, and all innocently, she didn't really know what she was saying, but she said, teacher, when I was, when I was, uh, uh, pray, when I was worshiping and praying over there, all of a sudden I had like a vision or I saw something. She didn't even know how to describe it, but she said, I saw you, teacher, and, and you were doing this and this and this, some things that were doing, the teacher was doing wrong. And he fell down right on the floor weeping and repenting and God straightened his life out. It was amazing. God can use children. <laughs> we don't expect it sometimes, but he can. Isaiah 11 says, a little child will lead them. Can God do that here? There were times actually when they didn't even want to go to break time. They wanted to go to a room we called a prayer room. And they'd, we'd go by that room. They'd be in there weeping and crying and raising their hands up. Nobody leading them. They're just experiencing Jesus. Can you imagine that? Kids actually wanting to go to prayer instead of break room. <laughs> it was really an awesome experience to see that. Now, it wasn't all the time. There were lots of other things that went on there. And it's funny how children can get revived and blessed. The very one that's prophesying and getting touched by the Lord, you know, is punching somebody a few minutes. You know, it's just, just what happens. It happens like that in church, too. I, I don't. But well, I was given a Bible study one time uh, to some of the children. Again, his age range is about 8, 9, 10, 11 years old there. I was teaching about Noah, something simple like that. And I could feel the anointing come in the room while I was teaching. I, it was exciting to feel that. I was, was kind of new in ministry. It was kind of exciting to feel that anointing. Afterwards, a little girl came to me. She said, teacher, while, while you were talking to us about Noah and teaching from the Bible, all of a sudden, while you were talking, I saw Jesus come and walk into the room. And I thought, wow, when I teach, Jesus comes in the room. <laughs> And I started to feel pretty good about ministry. I said, God is using me. And she went on describing Jesus. She said, I'm sorry. As I was looking at him, I could hardly hear what you were saying. But I was watching Jesus and he was so beautiful. But then she got like a frown on her face. She said, as you continued teaching, you you went and you stood in front of Jesus. And I couldn't see him anymore. (laughs) I said, okay. (laughs) We don't want to do that, right? We want, to, we want to see Jesus. Well, God can use children, and we're expecting wonderful things with the children here in our church. Amen? Amen. Outpour into the Holy Spirit. We want to see that. Um, going to our message, the title of our message is Fruitfulness. Is it a goal or is it a byproduct? We'll talk about that in just a minute, but I want to start with John 15. In John chapter 15, I want to share something just to begin with here. We want to talk a little bit about fruitfulness and, and what God wants to do in our lives. And John chapter 15, if you turn with me there, John 15, starting with verse 1. And there are several places, like Pastor was saying, Jesus said in, also in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd. Uh, there are several places. He says, I am the door. Here he says, I am the vine. Now, you know, the name Jehovah actually means I am in the Old Testament. And God reveals himself to us. And, and one thing I want, one thing that really came clear to my, my heart this past week, and that's that the way to see Jesus is not conjuring up some kind of an idea about him. He's like this or like that. But the way God has ordained that we see Jesus is through our needs. Jesus said that the healthy people, they don't need a physician. It's the sick that need a physician. Sometimes we don't realize how sick we are. 
In John 15, verses 1 and 2, I saw something brand new in this verse that I hadn't seen before. And it really touched me. First of all, starting off, I am the true vine, reading from the King James. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. That means like gardener, vine dresser. Verse 2, every branch in me, let's read this together, okay? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. It says, every branch in me, and I have a blank on your paper where you can fill it in with what the verse says. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And for years I had read that verse, even till just recently I had read that verse, and I would see where it says, if you're not bearing fruit, it says the Father's going to take you away. In one translation it says he's actually going to just cut him away. Boy, that would cause something to shake inside of me. I don't want to be taken away. I want to bear fruit. How many of you want to be fruitful for the Lord? And and so reading that verse always caused me to shake a little bit. And, and if you read a lot of Bible commentaries, most commentaries will actually combine this verse with verse 6. Let's read verse 6. It says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's pretty scary. That always just caused a little bit of trembling inside of me. I want to be fruitful for the Lord. But a few weeks ago, I was reading that and I was studying some of the, the some concordances that I have that show the Greek language and what the words really mean. And I looked up that word, taketh away. Every branch in me that beareth that fruit, he taketh away. And I left space for you to write this definition down. The word taketh away means not to take away but to take up. It's the same word that Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. To elevate. To raise up. Or even to prop up. And the picture is this. A a, a gardener has a vine and one of his branches is not bearing fruit. If a branch is not bearing fruit... The first thing that comes to the gardener's mind is not, let's get rid of the branch. It's, what can I do to get that branch to produce more fruit? He's going to find a way. As long as that branch is attached properly to the vine, the vine dresser, the the gardener is going to find a way to lift it up, pull it up out of the mud. Sometimes vines fall into the mud. He'll lift it up, wash it off, prop it up, raise it up, get it to the sunlight and water it continually so that it can produce fruits. That gave a brand new meaning to that verse. The other verse in verse 6 says, if a, a branch abide not, if the branch is no longer in the vine, it's good for nothing but the fire. But if that branch is in the vine... He's going to take care of you. How many can say amen? Let me show you a promise. Isaiah 27. We're going to talk about abiding. Isaiah chapter 27, verses 2 and 3. Look what the Father does. Look what the vine dresser does. The Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And and Isaiah, Isaiah is singing. He's singing a song. There's a couple of times he breaks out into song. That's what the prophets would do sometimes. And he says, in that day, sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. Verse 3. I, the Lord, do keep it. Listen to this. Why don't you read this with me? This is awesome. I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment. 
lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. Isn't that awesome? You like that verse? That doesn't seem to me like he's interested in just chopping off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Seems like he's more interested in seeing as long as that vine is there. Now, if a branch disconnects itself from the vine, there's no more life. But as long as that branch is in the vine, there's going to be life. And he's going, and and it may not bear, and if you read in the Bible, it's interesting, many of the mighty men of God, uh, for instance, Abraham, what problem did he have? He was an old man, he was pretty much barren and unfruitful. His wife was barren and unfruitful. But they were abiding. (laughs) They were abiding in, in God, trusting in God. Well, For a while, Abraham got more concerned about the fruit. This is where I got the title of my message. He got a little bit more concerned about the fruit than his relationship with God. And what did he do? To produce fruit, he tried something else. He tried Hagar. Well, he got some fruit, and we're still suffering from them over there today. Uh, Back to the title of the message. Is fruitfulness a goal? Or is it a byproduct? Well, my answer right to this point would be, it's a byproduct. The goal is our relationship with Christ. He said we'll bear much fruit. It's not really our concern how much fruit, because the life doesn't come from us. It comes from Him. When we get concerned about the fruit and start counting the fruit and say, oh no, that doesn't look like, you know, what am I doing? Look, and we look at the other branches, oh, there's more fruit on that. We, we, what happened? We're going to get disconnected. Abraham almost got disconnected. Took many more years to get back in there again. And a beautiful test of what Abraham realized was important in his life was when God said, hey, listen, let's offer up that fruit, Isaac, on the altar. He had no problem doing that, did he? Went right away. First thing in the morning. He didn't delay it. But this verse from John 15 really blessed me. This, I've just been meditating more and more these past few weeks that God is going to bear us up as long as we are abiding in Him. And what I want to share with you today is this whole process of abiding in the vine. And John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, and even in chapter 17. Those chapters of John are the last moments of Jesus with his disciples. And he's talking to them about some very important issues. And the main important thing he's explaining to them is that another comforter is going to come. And he explains that. Of course, he's referring to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. I want to go to this next section. If you look on your outlines there, and... uh, What you want to fill in the blank there is the Father's garden plans revealed. The Father's garden plans revealed. And the first thing I want to explain today, something that's always been interesting for me to see in the Bible, is that in the Old Testament, this old covenant that God made with Israel, the laws and the commandments that he gave, Uh, many times you'll hear someone say, well, he tried that with some people and that plan didn't work, so now he's on plan B. Do you understand God is not on plan B? God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is still on plan A. God still has a purpose for us. But what we find out is what took place in the Old Testament, what took place in the Old Covenant is 
God was allowing the people to make a covenant with him based on their terms. At Mount Sinai, that's when the old covenant was established. At Mount Sinai, when God spoke the Ten Commandments, you realize he didn't give them on two tables of stone. It's not like the Charlton Heston version of Ten Commandments. How many of you realize Hollywood's not biblically accurate, right? (laughs) And God didn't give the the two tables of stone and Ten Commandments at the beginning. The first thing God did is he spoke the words from the mountain. He spoke him. He had told Israel, I'm bringing you out to me in the wilderness. I want to speak to you. If you'll hear my voice, you'll be a people that's a treasure unto me above all the peoples in the earth. That's what he brought them out on. He said, I brought you forth out on eagle's wings so you can hear my voice. But what did the people say when they began to hear God speak? Their answer was to Moses, Moses, we're going to die. We can't take this. It's too much for us. Moses, you go up. No, we'll stay. We're going to go back to our tents. You go up, Moses, and you tell us what God is saying, and then we will do it. They established their own terms of that covenant. And if you write there in the blank, on that next blank there, the key words or the vow covenant that the people made was, we will do it. Just tell us what to do, and we will do it. Well, what was the end result of that? Israel got laws and commandments and more laws and more commandments directly from God. Most awesome set of laws ever given. No other nation received laws like that. But what did it produce? It produced a people that years later, when that living word came down to visit them, the very word God wanted them to hear and they didn't want to hear it. The very word that came to visit him, visit them. And what do they do with that word? They crucified Jesus Christ. That's the best we can produce in ourselves. You see, God never intended on man having laws and commandments and living by laws and commandments. That was never his intention. Way back in the Garden of Eden, it's very clear. God gave lots of trees with fruit everywhere, but there were two trees that had names. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which tree were they not allowed to eat from? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God never intended for man to know him by knowledge, learning about him. Let me ask the husbands here a question. How many of you would, have, would be just as satisfied as you are today if back some years ago, before you got married, you went to the library and got a book all about your wife and you just memorized that book? Would that, have, would that have satisfied you as much as your marriage has? I don't think so. In the early service, we had one guy says, I would have rather done that. <laughs> God doesn't want us to learn about him. You know, and thinking about children, I just want to bring this up also. You know, our, our goal in children's ministry and Sunday school and all that, it's not so much just to teach children things. We present truth to them. But our goal in all of that is to bring him into a relationship with Jesus. Can you say amen? So this new covenant, that's what God wants to bring us into. Um, the old covenant. Let me show you one more thing here. If you turn with me to Psalms 80, we can get it on the, on, on the, uh, the PowerPoint there. Psalms 80. 
Psalm 80, starting with verse 8, the psalmist is concerned about something. The psalmist begins saying, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Verse 9. Thou preparest room before it, and you caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. Verse 10. The hills were covered with the shadow of it. The boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. Verse 11. She sent out her boughs unto the sea and her branches unto the river. Now, basically, the psalmist is talking about Israel and what God did, how he took them out of Egypt. He made a a nation out of them, planted them in the land of Canaan, and they flourished. But the psalmist is saying, what has happened? Verse 12. Why? This is the question the psalmist asks. Why, Lord, did you break down the hedges so that all which pass by do pluck at her? I feel kind of guilty reading it from back there. You'll think I have it memorized, like with a teleprompter or something. <laughs> you got it on both walls. Here we go. Why does this happen? Why did you allow them? Lord, why did you let its walls be broken down? Why did you allow that, Lord? Look with me. Isaiah 5 is the answer. What does God answer? Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5 is is the answer to the psalmist's prayer. This is why God allowed this to happen. Starting with verse Isaiah 5 and verse 1. Now I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. He's talking about the Lord. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Verse 2. And he fenced it and gathered the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And what happened? And it brought, leave that up, leave that little portion up there. It brought forth what? Wild grapes. Now different translations say it differently. One translation says sour grapes. I looked it up in the Strong's uh, Hebrew uh, dictionary. The word is very interesting. The word actually means stinkberry. Turn to someone and say, I'm a stinkberry. <laughs> In other words, what this is, is that when God allowed man to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's exactly what you see there at Mount Sinai, you know, that God told Adam and Eve, if you eat from this tree in that day, you're going to die. Well, you would think when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they would go <coughs> and fall over backwards or something and, and, and die right there on the spot. That didn't happen, did it? Another part of them died. Their relationship with God, their connectivity to God died. Right there in the garden, there was death, a spiritual death. At Mount Sinai, the moment God allowed them as a nation to eat of the tree of knowledge, what did it produce? Death also. How many people died at Mount Sinai? 3,000. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. God is making a new covenant, which is the next section on your outline, making a new covenant. The fulfilling of that new covenant was when the promise of the Father was poured out on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, when God made a new covenant with us, we're also part of the house of Israel now. When God made a new covenant, what happened on that day? What happened to 3,000 people on that? Uh, Mount Sinai, 3,000 died. What happened at Pentecost with 3,000 people? Got saved. Got filled with the Holy Spirit. Took water baptism, 3,000. Oh, if that's not a perfect picture 
of what God's trying to do. I don't know what is. The new covenant. Let's look at this just for a minute. And I want to emphasize the fact that a new a covenant is marriage. Marriage and covenant are the same in God's mind. Marriage is not a contract. How many of you know the difference? A contract can be broken. A covenant is until death do we part. Is that right? Okay. And this is the relationship God wants with us. In the new covenant, the key words for the new covenant is not what man says. It's what God says. And God says, I will. I will. In the old covenant, man said, we will. But in the new covenant, God says, I will. And so this is the picture we have of the new covenant where God makes a way for us. In Jeremiah 31, we won't look at the verse now, but in Jeremiah 31, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm not going to give you laws on tables of stone. Even though I, I tried to be a husband unto Israel in that moment, in that covenant, it didn't work because it was based on their abilities. But I'm going to do something new in this new covenant. I'm going to write my laws in your hearts and put them in your mind. Ezekiel, turn to Ezekiel. Look, look at Ezekiel 36, starting with verse 26. And next to, on your paper there, if you're taking notes, uh, next to Ezekiel, I want you to write the number 14. I'll tell you why in a second. Let's read this verse. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments. And do them. Do you see the word I will? If you read the entire chapter of Ezekiel 36, God says, I will. He uses that expression 14 times. And you see it even going on in chapter 37 where it talks about the valley of dry bones. And he, God is asking Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel says, I don't. Ezekiel was, a, Ezekiel was smart. He didn't want to give an answer. And God said, no, you're wrong. So he says, Lord, I don't, you know, Lord. <laughs> So he, so he said, Lord, you know, and God says, speak to these bones, prophesy upon them, bones and flesh and sinew. God made a mighty army out of just a bunch of dry bones. But God says, I will. The new covenant, in this next blank you can write, the new covenant is a marriage. And as much as the old covenant was, but now we're married to someone different. So we're not married to a law and a commandment. We are married to Jesus. Can you say hallelujah? And he's, and, and, and you can think it's not a matter of knowing him just by reading about him, like you would a book about someone else, like we mentioned about the wife. That's not the relationship he wants with us. He wants us to enter into this marriage relationship. In Romans chapter 7, actually Romans goes through this very methodically. It goes through the, the whole plan of God. How man had fallen. Uh, Romans 3 says, oh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, and then it goes on talking about the power, uh, the purpose of water baptism. How many realize how important water baptism really is? It's not just something you do because someone told you to do it. It's not just something you do because, well, I want my name on the church membership list. It's not like that at all. It's 
Water baptism is an important step, and I want to show that to you. Romans 6 is all about it, but right from Romans 6, talking about water baptism, he goes into chapter 7. And Paul begins to give this illustration in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. He begins this illustration of what marriage is. He says, a woman and a man are bound together by law, is what he's talking about here. And, but he's applying this whole thing spiritually. This new covenant is a marriage. Romans chapter 7, he says, a, uh, verse 1, Know you not, brethren, I speak to them that know the law, how the law says that it, the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Verse 2, Romans 7, verse 2, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband's dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Now, this is very interesting that he's talking about this, but he's referring to it spiritually in our relationship with Christ. He goes on to say, but if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no more adulteress. Therefore, she... Uh, she uh, be married to another man, although she be married to another man. And we're born into this world, and this is something we need to understand. We're born into this world married to the law of sin and death. We're married to it. We don't have any choice. Since Adam and Eve, we're born that way. And there's no way, you can't just, you know, kill your husband and get married to someone else. It doesn't work like that. This marriage is something that's a part of us inside. We cannot change that. It's under the law. It's the way God did it. We're born that way. How many have little children or had little children or eventually one time long ago you had to... You, okay, did you have to teach your children how to do bad things? Huh? I mean, you, were, you could have been the best parent, best example... And yet they still learned wrong things. How? Oh, the neighbor kids taught them how to do it. No. No. Uh -uh. It's inside of us. We're born with that nature inside. We can't separate ourselves from it. We're born in that marriage relationship. That's our, the law is our husband, Paul is saying. And we can't get free unless the husband dies and he ain't going to die. That system is in effect. But there's a way to be free, you see. Jesus came and he wanted us to marry him. But we just can't marry him and be married to this other. So what did he do? He died. And he was buried. And he rose again. And now you and I in Christ die and are buried. Water baptism. And rise again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that we can be married legally to another. Let me give you this illustration of, uh, of a covenant as marriage and the experiences God has for you. And I wrote down here under Romans 7, the new birth, water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit. You can see this in the book of Acts. You can see when the people asked, when the people said to Peter, what shall we do? He said, repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was his message to him on that very first day. He didn't wait for six months later. He told him that same day. Today you got to do it. And these experiences bring us into that marriage relationship with Christ. Through the new birth, it's, we could, you could write down next to that, it's Jesus' proposal to us. Will you marry me? That's what he said on the cross. 
Will you marry me? In water baptism, Jesus, that's when we say, I do. Yes, Lord. I will marry you. That's when we're buried with Christ. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Paul calls it the down payment or the first fruits of the Spirit that we have. That's the wedding ring. Wrong, wrong ring. That's the wedding ring he puts upon us. We're his now. The covenant, ring of covenants. Speaking in tongues, that's that marriage language we have with Jesus. Amen? See, my wife and I, we have little things we say to each other. You guys would never understand. And speaking in tongues is a beautiful love relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, if you haven't been born again, it's a good step. Come and see what Jesus is offering you. He says, will you marry me? Will you be mine? Water baptism, I do, Lord. And he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the next part of the outline here. And I want to show you what he does for us. And have a little illustration I want to kind of use here. And that first part there is... John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine. Well, I didn't find a grape vine, but I found this. Anybody know what this is? Any idea? I'm not a, I'm not a gardener. I don't know anything about this stuff. There's a rose bush, right? Okay, that's what it's supposed to be anyway. Who knows if it will grow into that or not? And I found this. We're just going to call this our wild branch kind of a thing here. It actually says uh, uh, burning bush. Not quite the same as the one Moses had, but it's called a burning bush. This is us. This is us over here. This is the burning bush. This is you and I. This is when Israel stood before God and said, God, we we don't want to hear you speak to us. We'll do it ourselves. We will produce our own fruit. We can do it. Just tell us what to do. We will produce it. And sometimes we think if we can just learn how to be a Christian, that's all we need. No, just, just tell me what to do. What is a Christian supposed to do and not supposed to? Give me the list of roles and I'm going to... No, no, that's old covenant. That's not a relationship with Jesus. Because you see, what he asked you to do may be different than what he asked me to do. That's where it's difficult, isn't it? Well, what's right? What's wrong? No, it's not that. It's knowing him. This is us. Maybe it's like there's even some shoots coming out, some different uh, blossoms or whatever's coming out of there already. But this is the vine. This is the vine. Jesus. This is the true vine. Now, there's something important that has to be done. I even brought some gloves to make it look like I'm a real gardener. Um, I'm not a gardener. I don't, when we first came here, I thought I could grow a garden. And so we planted. I, I like pumpkins. So I let's grow some pumpkins. And we threw some tomato seeds out there. We put a bunch of stuff growing. We thought we were going to have an awesome garden. But um, the pumpkins took over everything. <laughs> In fact, I couldn't even mow half my yard. The vines went. I just, I, I don't I thought, well, why do I have to plant them in rows? I can just put seeds. You know, I don't grow. Anyway, that's, that was what that was. But something had to happen. Something had to happen for us to be part of this vine. 
And if you know anything about, I don't know much, I saw a few YouTube videos this past couple weeks, but uh, that's all I know about gardening. But I do understand one thing, is that you can't just put, you can't just graft any kind of a, of a, of a branch into any kind of a tree. There's a species, there's, there's something that has to be similar different kinds of apples, different kinds of pears. Some things can intermix, but not. It's, it's very restrictive. You can try. You can put it in there. You can graft it in there. It's not going to stay. Not going to stay at all. It'll die. They even cause damage to the vine too. Here's the unique thing. You and I are totally incompatible with Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? The Bible says we were enemies in our minds. Hostile. The flesh, what we really are without Jesus. The flesh is an enemy of God, can never please God. This, even if it starts getting some flowers, even if it gets some grapes and fruits or something coming out, looks like grapes. What kind of, what kind of fruit would it be called? What did I tell you it was? Stinkberries. Say, I'm a stinkberry for Jesus. <laughs> I used to be a stinkberry, right? Okay. And that, that's a, so what has to happen is something serious has to take place for a grafting. And this is so powerful, especially when we're looking forward towards Easter and what Christ did for us. Here is the power of the cross. Here is what took place. You see, the very first thing that has to happen, the very first thing that has to happen is this vine needs to be cut. Needs to be, uh, an incision needs to be made there. And then this branch has to be cut as well. I already cut it, so just pretend, okay? Okay, there we go. All right. And here's what happens. Think about this just for a minute. One thing to understand is that the cut that Jesus received... Can we put Isaiah 53.5? Isaiah 53.5. The cut that Jesus received... It says in King James, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. Okay, but look at it in the numeric and standard. Look what it says here. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. I looked at that in the Hebrew concordance that I have also, and it literally said bored through. Not just pierced like a little pierced needle pricking, but pierced through. And the word crushed is more than just, it's crumbled down. It wasn't just a nice, cute little cut in Jesus that he received. It was a crushing. It was a crumbling. And what caused that? Was it was the horrible crucifixion death? No. The, the pain that he had, the, the 40 lashes, that was pain. The, the, the crucifixion, that was painful. But that's not what killed Jesus. Do you know that normally... Uh, a person crucified back in those days, they could last on that cross for several days. The other, th- uh, when they went around to see if the other, if they were, because the, uh, uh, the Jewish Sabbath day was coming, the very next day was a Sabbath day, so they had to, they had to uh, take them down. They couldn't leave them on the cross, and they didn't want them to be alive yet. They were still alive, so they checked the two other criminals that were up there, and, and they, they broke their legs so that they could no longer support themselves and breathe. That's why they died. But when they came to Jesus, They didn't have to break his legs, did they? He was already dead. How? Wasn't the crucifixion that killed him? It was your sins and mine. Excuse me. Think about that. 
The only solution for sin was his death. People trying to be good and getting to heaven, what an embarrassment to themselves. What a deception. God showed us the only way for us to be saved was for Jesus to be crucified. The only way. He took all of our sins. It says when they did pierce him, out of his side came blood and water. I understand. I've heard that that, that only happens when a heart has burst. That's what happened. A broken heart. He took all of our sins. On that cross, before he died, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First time in all of eternity, the Father turns away from Jesus. And it's because of you. It's because of me. Think about that. This branch may have had some really nice-looking berries on it. But all of that is nothing but wild, sour, useless. Even the most wonderful fruits that was there. What has to happen? Not only does the, not only does the vine need to be cut, but this branch pulled off of that other wild tree, it needs to be cut just right. You can't just chop it off and stick it on there. It needs to be cut just right so that it fits inside. Unless this is cut properly. And sometimes we have some real hasty conversions. We're so quick to get someone into the kingdom that sometimes we don't take time to make sure there's been a, let the Holy Spirit really work in that person. It takes some real cutting to get them to that place. And do you know what? It's not just when we get saved. The rest of our life, we're going to see more of this and there's going to be, there's going to need to be more of this in our lives. Talks about the engrafted word. What God has done is that He's made that cut just perfectly in such a way that we could fit right in there. But even that's not enough. Remember, we're not made of the same stuff, are we? That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And then John 14, 15, and 16, it's all about another comforter, another teacher who's going to come And that teacher is going to help us and lead us. Not teaching us new laws and regulations and new methods. But teaching us one simple truth. How to abide in this vine. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. I think you got to use some kind of tape. Isn't that right, Linda? A wax too, yes. That's to seal all the sap inside. And I've seen them on YouTube. I saw them using some tape, so I got tape. Okay. I'm a real farmer at heart, you can see. And then something begins to happen. A little bit different than normal grafting process. The normal grafting process, this continues to produce its own kind of fruit. But in this grafting process, this is again, this is contrary to nature, Paul says in Romans 11. This grafting process is supernatural. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, without 
the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It's not an option. It's not like an extra thing you can add. We need, and not only do we need, we need to just insert it there, there needs to be a binding. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, don't even leave Jerusalem. Don't even leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. There needs to be a binding there because this is contrary to nature. This is not going to take. It's going to be a grafting that, that doesn't take. Damaging both, possibly. But this is a supernatural. You and I with Christ is a supernatural. He's the true vine. And this is why God created us. Why God created us. That cutting that has to take place, that cutting that has to take place in our lives. It's not only when we first come to Christ, but it's also a continuing experience. This experience of abiding in Christ. This is why, and if you go back to John 15, this is what uh, Jesus is saying about, the, if a branch is not bearing fruit, he's not, God's not just going to rip it out of there and say, that's it for you. No, no. He took this much to get us here. If we can remain abiding, the fruit is not our responsibility. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not called the fruit of David or the fruit of Betty or Joe. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We cannot produce it. In fact, if there was any fruit hanging on us, what do you think has to happen to that? It needs to fall off. Now, this whole process of grafting is a little bit different than natural grafting process. In the natural grafting process, that would produce the same fruit it was always doing. But in the supernatural grafting of God working in us, He wants to change every single thing inside of us. Every single thing. Even if you thought, you you know, some people, you know, you hear people say, I've always been a very patient person. Well, you know what? If you've always been a very patient person, that means that's a fruit from this other branch. When you bite into it, it may look like a nice fruit of patience, but when you bite into it, what flavor does it have? Sour, stinkberry flavor, whatever that may be. That needs to be exchanged, replaced. It needs to fall off. And do you know that God is very good at showing you how patient you really are in the natural? Very good. You see? All of this has to come off and this has to transform. And the only way for those other fruits, the fruit of the Spirit to begin to grow, is for our old life to be flushed out. And that only happens when the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction. The Word of God comes like a sharp, this is only one-sided, but a two-edged sword comes to bring conviction. Sometimes we run away from that. I don't want, I don't want God to know what's wrong with me and I, I can fix this on my own. No, you can't. We've got the wrong stuff inside of us. We need Jesus. 
We need him. And when that conviction comes, that's the time. Whenever you cut the vine, the vine's been cut. When you cut this branch, you can't wait several weeks later to stick it on there. It has to go right away. It has to be joined as soon as possible. It's in that very moment something supernatural is going to happen. Life from the vine is going to begin flowing inside that branch. That's not just when you give your life to Christ. That goes on. And goes on. He deals with you. He's very good. God is very good at showing you, hey, you thought you had patience. Let me show you what it really is. Has God ever showed you that you're not as patient as you thought you were? <laughs> Some people say, I've always loved people. Okay. It's a nice fruit, you know, that, you know, you can love people. And get, but if it's just this tree, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes God has to allow us to see the difference. We can only see Jesus to the degree we see ourselves. To know him, we know him through that need. That's why the cut is there. And God deals with, he uses situations to show us what we really are. Not so we can feel condemned and guilty. And ah, and sometimes we just do that. There's no good thing in me. I'm not going to even try anymore. And we give up. That's not what it's supposed to be. When you're cut off, when you realize this is not the right stuff over here, that's the time to get joined to Christ. That's the time to get plugged in. And that's when the miracle begins to take place. I want to look at another verse real quickly. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Jesus, just on your outlines there for point number two, seeing Jesus, seeing Jesus. Letter A is the vines part. Jesus needed to be crushed for us. Letter B on point two there is the branches part. How deep do we got to be cut? It goes on, goes on. Finally, at the end of our life, I heard one pastor say this. He says, I think the goal of our lives as Christians is by the end of our life, we'll know the difference between ourselves and the grace of God. (laughs) There needs to be a crushing and breaking inside of us. Don't think that brokenness is only when you first get saved. There needs to be a continuing breaking and crushing. Because there's a continual joining. I don't know about you, but I want to be in love with Jesus, married and joined to him. Point number three, it's the, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Letter A, developing a life of abiding. Developing a life of abiding. The reason you need the power and the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's the time to ask. It's the Father's promise to His children. Ask. The power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's a teacher. He's the comforter. He's the helper. He'll teach us how to walk with him. A life of abiding. And if you see in Isaiah 30, we won't look at it, but Isaiah 30 says, your eyes will see your teacher. And you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Whenever you try to turn to the right or turn to the left, you'll hear that voice behind you. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that whole, that when Jesus said comforter, that word comforter is an awesome word. It means helper. 
counselor. It means advocate, a standby. One translation says he's your standby. He comes to stand by you. He's there to help you abide. In fact, that's what First John chapter 2, verse 27 says. He says you have, John says to the people, he says, you've received an anointing. That's the Holy Ghost. You've received an anointing. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You've received an anointing that abides in you. And that anointing is going to teach you, not mentally, not just learning methods, But inside there's going to be a voice telling you how to walk, how to live. Speaking in tongues, awesome experience where our spirit is developing that union and relationship in prayer and worship. Do you sing in tongues, pray in tongues? Beautiful experiences. Letter B, you could put there the great exchange. What God wants for us is not changing us. He wants to exchange us. Everything of the past taken out in his life in us. Amen? When God shows you things in your life, it's not to make you feel bad. It's not to bring condemnation. It's so that you have another opportunity to come under the knife and let him graft another part of your life into him. We get afraid of that sometimes. But the only way we can change is by allowing him to come into our life and do that exchange of life. The old out, the new filling us. When Paul says you need to know the exceeding greatness of power, for us to be changed like that, we need power can't do it ourselves. It's the great exchange. It's not God trying to change you and I. He's not trying to forget about character building programs and five steps to being a more successful Christian. Forget all that stuff. It's not what it is. It's his life in us. He wants that old life, the stinkberry tree. He wants that stuff gone. He wants it gone. He wants to produce life. There's an exchange going on. But I want to show you 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, Paul says, with an open face. In other words, we're not, when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes through his word, we don't run from it. We don't get scared or feel condemned. We keep our face open to God. And when we do that, when that cutting takes place in our lives, but as we have an open face and we're beholding Jesus, you see Jesus through your needs. That's how he reveals himself to you as savior, as healer. He says we're changed from glory to glory, even into that same image. You want to produce fruit? The title of my message was, is fruit a goal? No. It's a byproduct of that union. And that's what we need to strive for. Amen? How many want to be fruitful Christians? (laughs) Don't focus on the fruit. It's just a byproduct of this relationship. Focus on the vine in your relationship. Get closer. Get closer. Spend time at the foot of the cross. Spend time looking at what that cutting, that piercing, that wounding was for all of us. Amen. I had a few verses at the bottom. I have Isaiah 27 there. And I like Psalm 92. You can look at it when you get a chance. But it says, they, those trees that are planted in the house of the Lord, they're going to bear fruit even in their old age. How many of you like that? 
It's not going to be fruit that gets wrinkled and turns into prunes and raisins on the, on the, on the branch. It's going to be full of fruits. The older the tree, the longer the union, the sweeter and better the fruit. Amen. He just described me, by the way. <laughs> you just, great way to end that. That was a good word, wasn't it? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor David. That took a lot of courage to wield that thing around here this morning. But that was a good word. And I want the goal. I want the relationship to get sweeter and sweeter. And the Holy Spirit will do that. He knows how to produce the fruit in our lives. What a good word. Thank you so much. I'm so glad today that when we are in Christ, he's not out to cut us off. When we falter, he's going to lift us up. That was a tremendous truth. Wonderful point. Aren't you thankful for that today? God is for you. He's not against you. Thank you for that wonderful teaching today. Praise the Lord. I would have hurt myself with that knife. Anyway. God bless you. I'm so glad that you were here today. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that there is a grafting by the power of your Holy Spirit that draws us in. And Lord, when we are in you, God, you become the source. And and there is a fruitfulness in our lives. We don't have to look at anyone else. We just look to you. And you become that power source in our lives. And we thank you for what we've heard here today. Seal it by the power and work of your spirit in our lives long after we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your interest in the Dover Foursquare Church. My prayer wish is that you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is our desire that our preaching and leading the congregation will always be word-centered and applicable to life. It is our desire that our worship be the pathway unto further transformation into the likeness of Jesus. With everything we do, our prayer is that we will rest in God's love and Christ's mighty work on the cross. We are blessed with a loving pastoral staff. Chris and Anna Ewing are pastors of our youth ministries. David and Marietta Slentz are pastors of our children's ministries. Our staff is eager to relate truth to life. All of the ministries interrelate, and we desire to give place to the flow of God's grace at all times. Our church address is 302 East Slingluff Avenue, Dover, Ohio. And our church phone number is 330-343-6142. Our website address is www.doverfoursquare.org.